Are you ready to hear the word today? Ready to hear from the word of God today? Um, I have a three-part series that I'm going to try to get out in 30 minutes. So I'm going to talk fast and y'all listen fast and we'll <laughs> we'll get to the end hopefully on time. So today we're going to talk about uh, three words. Do, love, walk. And no, I wasn't trying to make a sentence. That would, <laughs> that would be a confusing sentence. But we're going to talk today about this, this verse out of Micah, do love walk. What does the Lord require? And I am the kind of person that likes details. I'm a detail-oriented person anyway, but I especially like details when somebody asks me to do something. I want to know what I'm committing to before I make the commitment. Let me know what's required of me. They asked me to work in the concession stand for football and band and soccer. So, <laughs> you, you know, if they would all do the same thing, it would make my life so much easier. But no, they like to have different interests. But um, my first questions were, what time do I have to be there? What time does it get done? What's, it, what's required of me? I want to know what's required of me. And so there's a verse in Micah, um, chapter 6, verse 8. And this verse has just been stirring around in me. And I actually, when Pastor Daniel asked me if I would teach today, I had a really different word pop into my mind. And that's where I was going. And it was really exciting and, and, and fun and miracles and power and cheerleader and go God. And this one's not quite the same, but it is a good word. This is something that I have had to put into practice, and I can't tell you how it has changed my life. And so we're going to read this. He has shown you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And so sometimes when we're telling people about the Lord and, and witnessing to people and trying to get them saved, we, we don't almost trick them, but sometimes I feel like we almost trick them. Here, here's what God wants to do for you. God's got all this for you, for you, 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 you. And then they come into the family of God, and we go, okay, now this is what God wants from you. And you're, wait a minute. I have a part to play here. The Lord requires something of me. Wait, I like the other way. I like the other side. But we're in covenant, right? We're in covenant with an amazing covenant God, full of power and full of miracles. And he wants us to be in covenant with him. And how many of you know there's two sides to a covenant? There's his responsibility, and then there's our responsibility. So there's a few things that the Lord requires of us, and we're going to look at those today. And the first one we're going to look at is to do justly. And that word justly means conformity to moral rightness in action or attitude, to be accurate or fair by representing someone or something as that person truly is. So when we do justly, we're not just sitting back, we're not just relaxing, we're not just kind of chilling. Doing is a verb. It's something that we're supposed to do. And, and um, there can be kind of a, a thing about the word do or works when it comes to Christianity, that we're under grace and so there are no works. But here's the deal, and we're going to see it in just a minute, is that grace and works are not mutually exclusive. 
They flow together. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But first, we're going to turn to Matthew 22, 34 through 40. So we talk about doing justly. One of the first things that popped to my mind was the commandments, right? The law. When you think of doing justly, you go to those Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Thou shalt do this. The do's and don'ts, the works. In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, we have um, an expert in the religious law came to Jesus, and he tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So this is the part of the law that Jesus was referring to. What is the greatest law? What is the greatest commandment? And in one of the, of the books where this story is written, it, it, the, the man is asking him, what do I have to do for eternal life? And then this is how Jesus responded. And we know that Jesus came to fulfill the law, don't we? Jesus came to fulfill the law, but he didn't come to fulfill this law and eradicate our need to do it. Jesus came to fulfill the sacrificial law. He came to pay the price, the sacrificial price that the lamb would cover the sins in the Old Testament, but Jesus eradicated the sin issue. He came to fulfill that law, but this part of the law is still ours to do. He didn't come to do this to keep us from having to do this, like he came to die on the cross so that we wouldn't have to do that for ourselves. We could never pay that price for ourselves. And Andrew Murray, um, there's a quote in his book from the power of the blood of Jesus that I just love. And it says, the Lord Jesus did not offer up his own life and shed his blood to spare us from the sacrifice of our lives. No, indeed, but to make the sacrifice of our lives desirable and possible. So we do have a do. We do have a work. We do have to do justly. Works and grace are not mutually exclusive. Works are powered by grace. We're not talking about earning salvation. We're not talking about works to earn anything from God, to earn his love, or to earn our salvation. That's not the kind of do. That's not the kind of works we're talking about. We're not talking about works-based salvation. The blood of Jesus is it. That's all that we need. You can never do anything to make God love you any more. You can never do anything to make God love you any less. We're not talking about works-based salvation or works-based love. We're talking about salvation-based works. And there is a work for us to do, and it's based on our salvation. We're going to see that in a minute. Now, how many of you have read through the, the New Testament at any point? Any of the books in the New Testament? Anybody? Uh, Three-quarters of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. He's one of my favorites. I love to study his life. I love to read the books that he's written. And he is, was masterful and used by God to explain to us grace and to explain to us the need, or our, 
that we don't need to work for salvation. But in those same books where he talked about God's grace, he talked about do's and don'ts, didn't he? Did Paul write any sin lists in the Bible? Yes. Yes, he did. He said, do not do this. Do this. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Run away from anger. Run away from malice. Run away from pride. There is no room for greed. Don't do this. Do do this. Works and grace are not mutually exclusive. There are sinless in the Bible for a reason, and there's a reason that God tells us to do justly. God hates sin. He hates it. He doesn't hate us when we sin. He always loves us. We cover that. The blood covers that. He hates sin. And the reason that he's put these sin lists in the Bible and the reason that he's given us these commandments, so to speak, to follow, to do justly is because he loves us. He hates sin because he loves us. Sin does not kick you out of the family of God. Can you agree? You don't come back and forth and back and forth. Once you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're his child, period, no matter what you do. Just like Alex and Mookie over there are my kids. They could do wrong a thousand ways from Sunday, and they will never stop being my child, right? Sin does not dismiss you from the family of God, but sin impacts your intimacy with the Father, It impacts intimacy, and God hates it because he wants intimacy. Sin hurts, doesn't it? It's destructive. It hurts you. It hurts other people. It brings destruction into your lives. There's nothing good about it, right? And God hates it, and he put those parameters in his word for us to protect us and to keep us away from destruction and to keep us away from hurt and to keep us away from those destructive things that sin brings into our lives. And that's the why behind the rule. God doesn't have sinless in the Bible because he's some big mean ogre and he wants to see if you can measure up and see just what you're going to do for him. The why behind the rule is that he wants you to live a fully satisfied life. Now, I've got two teenage boys and a tween girl. Jesus, help me now. <laughs> and we've had some conversations in the last year or two about God's plan for relationships. You know, you get some teenagers, you don't want them to go off into the world and just listen to their friends. You've got to converse with them about these things. So we've had some interesting conversations about it. And you, how many knows there's pleasure in sin for a season? There's pleasure in sin for a moment. There's a carnal pleasure in sin. Or else nobody would do it, right? If it hurt the physical flesh, would anybody do it on purpose? No. And so there's two different ways at work here. We have God's way, and then we have carnal flesh way, right? And God's way brings us a fully satisfied life. If you don't do what he says not to do, and you do do what he says to do, you are going to walk in a fully satisfied life. There's blessing, there's favor, there's intimacy, right? 
Sin's way brings destruction. It brings guilt. It brings shame. It brings depression. It brings all kinds of things with it that are not God's plan for you. And so he set these parameters in his, his word because he loves you and he wants to keep you from harm, right? So we need to do justly. John fourteen fifteen says, if you really love me, you will keep and obey my commands. John 14, 21 says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. The intimacy. If you love me, you keep my commands. So we're not talking about works-based salvation. We're talking about works on, based on the fact that, Father, I love you. And because I love you, I want to do what pleases you. There's a dress code in my daughter's school. She's in the middle school. And um, when it's hot, they're allowed to wear shorts. And so the dress code is that the shorts have to be fingertip length, Right? which for me, it's almost to my knees, but <laughs> her arms aren't quite long as mine. But um, so fingertip length. So being the good law-abiding citizens that we are, I like rules. I like to stay within the rules. I like the boundaries of the rules. And we like to do what's right. That's what the Bible says. That's character. That's integrity. You do what the rule is. That, you know. So she, off to school she goes, and if she wants to wear a littler pair of shorts, she's got to put something underneath it to hide the skin to make it dress code. But then she comes home mad, right? Because all of her friends have worn short shorts and gotten away with it. Oh, then that righteous indignation, it just goes. And why can they get away? And then I want to. If they can, so should I. And so how many can we agree that Allie is doing justly? She is abiding by the dress code. But how many of you can agree that her motive is not love? (laughs) Her motive is not just because I really want to obey the rules. Her motive is just because my mom is making me. And if I could get away with it, I would get away with it. And why is it fair that they're doing it and I don't get to do it? Our motive matters. It matters in a lot of different ways. But let's read John 13. Jesus, help us get through this. So, I give you a new command. Love each other deeply and fully. Remember the ways that I have loved you and demonstrate your love for others in those same ways. Everyone will know you as my followers if you demonstrate your love to others. And so there's a reason that he wants us to do justly. It's not just to protect us. It's not just to keep us from harm. It is. That's his love for us protecting us. That's why I have so many rules for my kids, to keep them safe. And there's more rules coming as they get older. And the driver's permits are going to start flying. And, you know, you set more boundaries and parameters because you, you see what could happen and you want to keep them from harm. And that's God's heart to us always. But it's because, so that everyone who sees you will see him. They're not just going to see you. They're going to see him. Acts twenty six nineteen through 20. 
And this is the Apostle Paul. He says, And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must, this is what he preached, repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things that they say, by the good things that they think, by the good things that they do. There's a do. Say, I have a do. To do justly. Okay? Does this make sense? We're all quiet today. <laughs> and once we do justly, we need to love mercy. When you show compassion or forgiveness towards someone to whom it is within your power to punish or harm, you are showing mercy. Mercy is compassionate or kindly forgiveness shown toward an offender. Mercy is not getting what you deserved. Let's just pause for a minute and thank God. <laughs> for Jesus, or else we would have gotten what we deserved. But he got what we deserved, and we got what we didn't. Amen? Mercy is like a judge finding you guilty, yet not giving you any punishment. Don't you love mercy? Aren't you thankful for mercy? But this isn't just talking about loving mercy from God to you. This is talking about loving mercy from you to others. And it doesn't just say that we need to show mercy. It says that we need to love mercy. Love. And that word love means to show great affection for. We need to show great affection for mercy from us to others. Love mercy. Okay, here's an example of not loving mercy. Ready? Has anybody ever been doing justly on the highway and going the speed limit? Right? Or maybe a couple miles an hour over. Because they watch my speedometer now and go, Mom, uh, you're speeding. But I only go a couple miles over, and it's hard to keep it exactly on, you know. So, um, but you're doing justly on the highway. You're going the speed limit, and don't you know someone in a little red sports car goes flying by? And you're like, where are the cops when you need them? They need a ticket. Look how dangerous they're being. If they just got a ticket, that would help teach them. Now, that is not showing or loving mercy. And when we do justly, it is really easy to get critical and judgmental and condemning of people that are not doing justly, isn't it? And that's where God's part comes in that we're to love mercy. And part of this, loving mercy, and, th and this was just the thought that popped into my head, so I wrote it in my notes. It's not fair. Has anybody ever experienced an it's not fair moment? Or it's not fair situation? <laughs> or it's not fair months and months and months of a situation of it's not fair? And we need to operate, especially in it's not fair, with loving mercy. Because guess what? And I tell my kids this all the time. 
Life's not fair. It just isn't. There are people that are going to treat you wrong. Your little sandpaper that are, you know, sanding off all those rough edges. Good times, huh? <laughs> Life's not fair. But there's something that, two things that we can do here. And one we see in 1 Peter 2.23, and this is talking about Jesus. It said, when he was verbally abused, he didn't return the abuse. When he suffered, he didn't make threats to cause suffering in return. Instead, he trusted all would be put right by the one who is just when he judges. He trusted that all would be put right by the one who is just when he judges. And there's another translation that says that he didn't, he didn't revile again, but he trusted himself to the one who judges rightly. And life's not fair, it's not ever going to be fair. But God's given us something to do instead of showing criticism, instead of showing judgment and condemnation. There's a, something that we can do to help us to display loving mercy. And we see it in, in the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. It says, pay attention and always be on your guard looking out for one another. If your brother sins, misses the mark, solemnly tell him so and reprove him. And if he repents, feel sorry for having sinned, forgive him. And even if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, I am sorry, you must forgive him. Give up resentment and consider the offense as recalled and annulled. The apostles said to the Lord, help us. No, <laughs> increase our faith. Jesus said, you know, you need to keep forgiving people because somebody asked him, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? And here he said seven times a day. And you know, in the other place where the story is, he said seven times, 70 times in one day. You know how many of that is? Who can do mental math? Alex. No, he can't do mental math. Seven times 70 is 490 times in one day. Lord, help us. Let's read Matthew 5, 44 through 48. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies, love mercy. Pray for those who persecute you. Aha! In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives light. This is God showing mercy. For he gives his sunlight to both the good and the evil, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. And Luke 6.28 brings this into even more detail, where he says, Invoke blessings upon... Now be thinking about someone who's doing unjustly, who's doing unjustly to you. And this is how you love mercy. Include blessings upon and pray for the happiness of those who curse you. How many of you, that's the first thing that pops in your head? Me either. Implore God's blessing and favor upon those who abuse you. 
who revile you, who reproach you, disparage, and high-handedly misuse you. Now, if you're in an abusive situation, this does not mean stay. Okay? This, you can love mercy from a distance. You can love mercy from a distance. If you're being abused, if you're in an abusive situation, this does not mean stay and take it. This means separate yourself, but pray. Invoke blessings upon. This is keeping you clean. This is keeping your heart right before God. We're to do justly. We're to love mercy. So instead of, where are those police? That person needs a ticket. It's Father, ooh, I bet they don't know they're going that fast. Father, intervene on their behalf. Protect them, send angels. Protect everybody that's around them so there's no accidents caused. If they're going to an emergency, release your power in that situation. Whatever it is, invoke blessing. Release the power of God on them. Being critical and judgmental and condemning is not going to do anything but make you bitter and angry and sour. But if you can back up a couple steps and invoke the power of God in their situation, it could help it and fix it and help them. How many of you know most people do unjustly because they're hurting, because they're broken, because they need a Savior and don't have one? Or they haven't let him heal their heart all the way through. So when we love mercy, it leads to prayer. It leads to blessing. It leads to releasing God's power in their behalf. And that can't do anything but help. You and them. Right? When you love mercy, you're coming to their defense. Just like Jesus did on the cross. When he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He wants us to do justly, but he wants us to love mercy. And he wants us to walk humbly with our God. Now that word humbly means not proud or arrogant, modest, marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude, or spirit, not thinking of yourselves as better than others. And it's super easy, guys, if you are doing justly and then you are loving mercy to start thinking you're all that in a bag of chips, <laughs> right? God put these in, a, in order. He put them in order for a reason. He wants us to do justly. And when we do, he wants us to love mercy. And when we do that, we need to guard. We need to guard against pride. We need to walk humbly with our God. We're going to read 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. It says, And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And I'm going to read this in the Amplified. It says, Clothe or apron yourselves all of you with humility. Again, God sets boundaries in his word and parameters in his word and warnings in his word because he loves you and he's trying to protect you. So he's telling us here to apron ourselves with humility. Now, I love to bake and I have about four different 
aprons hanging in my kitchen, and every time I go to bake, I put one on. Why? Because I don't want to wear my flour on my clothes. It guards my clothes against flour and sugar and, you know, vanilla and eggs and anything else that I'm going to get all over me. I can wipe anything off on that apron and it doesn't touch my clothes. And he's telling us in this same way to apron ourselves with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. Why? Because God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. And he opposes and frustrates and defeats them. Who wants to be that person? (laughs) And God doesn't want us to be that person. That's why he's given us warnings. That's why he says, walk humbly with your God. This isn't the only place this is in the word. It's in here four or five different times. He opposes the proud, child or not, whether you're his child or not. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. Walk humbly with our God. Therefore, humble yourselves, demote Lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately, cares about you watchfully. This is our job. This is ours to do. Jesus gave an example of how to do this in Matthew twenty six thirty nine, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Says he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. And this is how we walk in that humility. By saying, Father, your will be done, not mine. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was not the only place that Jesus ever displayed this. He lived his life saying, Father, not my desires, but your desires be done. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think his equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. But he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human, human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that it was above all names. Gethsemane was not the only place. The cross was not the only place that Jesus humbled himself. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke this earth into existence, the one whose idea our human bodies were and childbirth was, his son, Jesus, was the word, right? He was the one 
who spoke everything into existence and by those words, everything still maintains in creation, humbled himself and became a man. Not just a man, a baby. He had to learn to walk. Walking was his idea. But he had to learn it. Jesus had to be potty trained. He had to be fed. He had to learn to write. All these things that were his idea. He humbled himself. He submitted to his parents. Remember when he was 12 and they found him, you know, they lost it. They lost, they lost Jesus. They lost God's son. (laughs) What was that conversation? Where's Jesus, Joseph? I don't know, Mary. Have you seen him? (gasps) We lost God's son. (laughs) Oh, no. He's going to get us. No. (laughs) And they went back to the temple and he goes, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? This is why I'm here. But the Bible says that he went and he submitted himself to them. I mean, I wonder if he ever wanted to look at Joseph and go, really? Don't you know who my real dad is? (laughs) You're not my real dad. He was tempted in all points like we are, even tempted with pride. But he never sinned. Why? Not what I want, what you want. He submitted himself to John's baptism. What kind of baptism was it? It was a baptism of water, but repentance. The sinless Lamb of God submitted himself to a baptism of repentance. He stood in line with all those other people on the bank who were going and confessing their sins. And he walked up there and John said, no, 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 no. I am not baptizing you. I need you to baptize me. He goes, no, I have to do this to identify. He identified with us. He humiliated himself and identified with us in John's baptism. He walked among us, Hebrews 12, 11, said he was not ashamed to call us his family. Everybody's got that crazy uncle they're ashamed of. He was not ashamed. He is not ashamed to call us his family. Isn't he awesome? He overcame. He did justly. He loved mercy. And he walked right or humbly with his God. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. In every situation, in every temptation, that's how we do it. That's how we do justly. By coming up against something that the flesh and the spirit don't agree on, and yet saying, Father, not what I desire, what you desire. When you're bumping up against your sandpaper, <laughs> and it's hard to love mercy, saying, Father, I just really want to give him a piece of my mind, but not what I desire. Please, Lord, what you desire. That's how we do it. And so what's the, what's the reason? What's the end game here? <laughs> Why am I sharing all this with you? This is how we live a fully satisfied life. This is how we live that abundant life that Jesus came to give us by doing justly and loving mercy and walking rightly, but there's more. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 says, For no one can lay 
Any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. And anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And this is something that has really been heavy on me. And I have been walking through this because when I read that, the fire will show if any person's work has any value. I want, I don't want my offerings to him. I don't want my whole life to be burned up in the fire. I don't want my whole life to just be covered by 1 John 1, 9. We are going to stand before him on judgment day. And I want us to hear not, well, you're done. I want us to hear, well done. We have a do. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10 says, so we are always confident even though We know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Remember, motive matters. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And we will each receive whatever we deserve, the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. So our due, our love, and our walk is going to be judged. And we're going to receive either good, those jewels, those crowns that we're going to lay at his feet, or for the evil that we've done, we're going to receive mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I want us to not just hear about this when we get there. Forewarned is forearmed. And I had a really cool Romans 4 faith shouting, victory stomping message. Come back Wednesday night, you might hear it. (laughs) But this is so strong in my heart to do justly, to love mercy, to walk rightly. Our life counts. It's not just about us. When we do justly, they're going to know we're his followers. When we love mercy, they're going to taste his love. And when we walk humbly with our God, that favor and that blessing of God is going to be upon our lives. And everyone's going to say, I want what you have. And it's that love that's going to draw all men to repentance. So what does he require of us? Let's do. Let's walk. Let's love. Who's with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you close your eyes, bow your heads, check real quick. The, those of us in here that know the Lord, we've accepted him, believed in our heart, confessed with our mouth, call him Lord. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account.
And that's where you get your crown, to lay at his feet. (sighs) But those of us who have not done that, there's a separate judgment seat. It's called the white throne judgment. And that's when he's going to say, depart from me, I didn't know you. If you don't have that blood covering, then you depart. And that's not what he wants. That's not what I want. And I know that's not what you want. (laughs) So if there's anyone in here that you've never made Jesus your Lord, you've never asked him into your heart, his blood has not cleansed you from all unrighteousness, if you could raise your hand, we want to pray with you today. Is there anyone here who's never made that commitment to the Lord? Anybody? Raise your hand if it's you. Or if there's anyone in here who has walked away and wants to come come back, come home, raise your hand. We can pray with you as well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't see any hands. Father, you're so good. You are so good. Hallelujah. Father. (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, you know, Jesus is coming. He is coming. I am so excited. I get more and more excited every day. Wonder what it's going to be like to see him face to face. Hallelujah. We just want to be ready. Amen. Amen. Well, we went a little over. Go ahead and dismiss. But before that, I get to speak the blessing over you. So if you'll stand. We believe in the power of words. There's power of life and death in the tongue. And when we speak these words, we speak them into your hearts. We speak them over your lives. We know that God goes forth and performs his word for you. So in the name of Jesus, we speak blessing on every single person in this room and strength and favor to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly. Father, I just ask you to ignite every heart with your fire and with your passion, Father, and let these ones be life changers for those they come into contact with. Let your presence just ooze out of them this week. Your healing, your deliverance, and your power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
speak the words 